I'm the dude who wears flip-flops like 300 days out of the year. It just kind of fits, fits my lifestyle, you know, and, and it worked for me. And it's honestly, it is kind of what I wanted it to be when I was a kid. You know, I, I'm not driving Vipers around on like Sunset Boulevard like I thought I would be. Hey, yeah. thanks for listening. Last week, I mentioned that I started the new book with glib in my emotions about leaving the previous book and series behind. Turns out it is hard to put away something you've worked on for years. I mean, five plus years. It, uh, it doesn't just get shelved and that's that, or at least it doesn't for me at this moment. I'm not changing my mind. You know, those feelings come up. You know, I, I came across a uh, a bunch of these papers that I had meant to put into a box with the other papers for the for the last book. So it was a little bit of a, oh, <laughs> you know, looking at it. Some of it was the original, the absolute original stuff I had uh, jotted down on the computer a long time ago. So it was a little bit of a, moment. The writing's coming along for the new book. I'm pretty excited. I've got it dug into the prose on Saturday, which is of course not the best day because the weekends I don't get that much time to write, but I still muddled through, wrote every day. It feels good to be back in the manuscript. If you missed or you don't subscribe to my newsletter, you can check it out. I wrote about the the new book and the the reasoning of switching over. So you can check that out through Substack. You can go to jalexmorrissey.com. There's a link to the Substack there. You can search J. Alex Morrissey on Substack. You can find a link to it through uh, Twitter, uh, Blue Sky, and Instagram. So you, you can find it, trust me. Next week, I will be off skiing, so I'm not going to post an episode. Enjoy this one, and then I'll be back the following week. Until then, listen to today's episode with Ryan Cody. Ryan is a comic book creator, a colorist, and a showrunner. He has a comic convention in Arizona, in Phoenix, called ASCAF, which stands for Arizona Comic Art Fair. Ryan is a friend of a few friends and reached out and asked if he could come on and talk about the show. And we talked about his career. We talked about all sorts of kind of stuff about being a freelance artist and creator. The show he's putting together sounds great. We're not 2,000 miles away. I might consider going, but uh, I'm excited to see how it takes root in the community out there. Oh. Before I let you go, we were chatting about conventions before we started really getting into it. So that's kind of how it tails into the conversation. So, and um, please, 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 please like and share this on whatever platform you listen to because it helps so much. Without further ado, this is me with Ryan Cody. 
all this scintillating convention conversation actually has purpose because you run a convention. I do. Yeah. And uh, so you run, I like to call it ASCAP, but that's, that's, uh, that's what I call it. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, so that's the comic art fair. What, uh, what, what made you, just like I would ask anybody getting into comic business, what made you take that, that, that choice? Well, it's, it's twofold is I wanted a, the, the, the shows in Arizona. Now the two big shows, uh, the Tucson comic con used to be in November, which was perfect. But, uh, after COVID they got a chance to get uh labor day weekend, I believe it is. So they took that. So now the Tucson show is at the, uh, beginning of September or whenever Labor Day is, maybe end of September. I'm not an intelligent person, but either way, it's it's hot now at, during the Tucson yeah. show. And it used to be cool. It used to be a sweater show. Now it's a, now it's a shorts and t-shirt show. And the, the big Phoenix show, Phoenix Fan Fusion, is always Memorial Day weekend. So it's always like 105 to 110 for that show. And I just wanted people who come out, other really other creators who come out, it's the worst time to be coming to Arizona is in May and right. it's in because nobody wants to go anywhere. Like the, the convention or the hotel, the hotel restaurant and bar, that's all great, but that's not the best part about like downtown Phoenix, which is where I live, but no one wants to walk 10 minutes in any direction to go to a better place because it's 105 degrees out or something like that. And so I thought we have, we have a, a huge amount of local uh, professionals here. You mentioned Nick, Nick Cagnetti. He's, he's from Phoenix. Uh, so we have a, a a pretty good group here and I wanted to kind of celebrate that, but also celebrate the weather. So I thought like we should have a cold weather show. There used to be one in the Valley. It was here for a couple of years and then it went away. Um, so one, I wanted to showcase Phoenix and, and our local community and our local creators with, with the great weather we have for four months of the year. Um, and then also kind of, uh, do different than what the two big pop culture shows here do, which is media guests. Um, they focus on like more like cosplay and contests and panels mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff yeah. that isn't, isn't really comics based. Um, and I wanted to put the focus back on comics and back on creators. So this was kind of something I started and I've been fiddling with it for like a decade. Uh, I, I used to put on an event, called uh, or i guess i still do uh called the arizona comic mini expo and i do tie that into free comic book day so we okay. try to we try to bring out a national guest on free comic book day and we do it at samurai comics and they have four uh four stores in the valley and so we would have all the local guys there plus like one or two national guests and that kind of like oh maybe i can turn this into something that's not um you know uh hinged with free comic book day and so that's kind of where the idea started. Like I just crunched some numbers and I decided like, let's just see how it goes. And the first year was great. So we're going to do a second year, see how that goes. And, uh, and it's just all, um, so have you been to heroes con in Charlotte? Oh yeah. Of okay. Yeah. So that's kind of my model is heroes mixed with a little bit of like some European shows that really showcase creators. Uh, so that's kind of what my idea for it is like a mix between like a Lake Como and a heroes where we don't have media guests, ticket prices are relatively cheap, parking is free, and it's just kind of an old school convention vibe. Like it's not, there's no, it's not pretentious. It's just sort of, you know, there's no special packages, VIP packages. I'm not saying we're against that if we got the right guest, but 
we're not we're not aiming for that we're not trying to to upsell any packages to meet a specific person we're trying to sell an experience of where there'll be upwards of 70 creators in the in the room upwards of 20 professional guests in the room and some really cool like retailers who who are going to offer some cool stuff that's kind of what we're that's kind of what we're aiming for and then also a, a good hang for the weekend it's a one-day show most shows pardon me if i'm going on too long here most shows are three day shows when they should be one day shows. Right. Um, most, most I've, I've been to a show, uh, a really great show in, in, in Sioux Falls, Supercon, but it's smaller than it's like a third of Phoenix comic con land size, you know, and it's a three day show. And in my experience, those kind of shows should be one day shows. I understand why they're weekend shows. Cause you're renting the convention center for a week at a time. You're going to want to make your money back. But we we're available to rent a venue for one day. And so why not make it a one day show? But guests can come and stay. That's kind of our pitch is like, come out for the one day show, stay the weekend. If you want to want to hang out, we'll hang out all weekend. If you want me to leave you alone and you go travel to Northern Arizona, like we had some guests last year who drove up to Sedona the next day. And, you know, it's kind of like um, we can't uh, we can't offer them the money that like a Megacon or something can offer them, but we can tell you like we get you a nice hotel and then you can explore Arizona if that's something you want to do. And it's a, a weekend experience with only a one day commitment for the creator. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so interesting because there's so many variables engaged with starting up anything and trying to scale something to what you have a vision for. And, you know, getting to see the, the first year, you know, I guess lumps that, you know, the local show here took. And I think to your point, if it was just one day, I think they would have done much better mm -hmm. because it would have been much more of an event to go, Oh yeah, that's, this is it. This is the only time. But unfortunately they ran smack dab into a, a larger sort of social event that was happening in, in Asheville that day, which just bled away. I would, say 50% of the potential people who could have come. It was just one of those real big things. Yeah. Scheduling is tough, especially you don't know, or I didn't realize how many kind of pulp culture cons there were in Arizona until you try to book one and everyone wants to book one in the good weather. Like I was saying. So the same day our event is happening, there's like a card show that also features comics, but we're not really crossing over. They don't really have uh, many comic guests, but it's like even in a, in what I consider kind of a small city like Phoenix or smallish city like Phoenix, there's two or three events going on the same weekend. Uh, the weekend we're doing the show, we had to book it that weekend because the the small event center that we book is booked out for the rest of the spring with like toy shows and Pokemon card shows and there's like there's no there's no lack of things for people to do. Yeah. So what I thought would be a no-brainer, oh, a Comic-Con in the great weather, let's hang out is like, well there's 15 other things going on and people are busy and it's like it's it's yeah, it's a real uh, eye-opening kind of thing to try to avoid all the little library cons, all the little store specific events. You know, you don't want to I want I want the whole all the retailers in the Valley to come and kind of rally around us to celebrate comics, but they're also running their own businesses. Like I had one retailer tell me like, well, well one retailer was like, well, I don't normally send people to other build other places to buy my, to buy their comics. Cause when I said, Oh, do you want to like uh, promote our show for uh, help us promote our show? 
And he's like, why would I send someone outside of my store to go spend money somewhere? And I was like, okay, I, I get that on a business level, but we're trying to build a community here. We're trying to, we're not a giant show. We're, we're a small kind of grassroots show and we're trying to build it, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's tough. I mean, if people are, I think it's like the, there's a territorial nature to businesses. These people don't want to have anybody infringe on their pull list people and et cetera and so forth. So it's hard for them to want to get together to sort of get together because they're not intrinsically linked in that sense. So when there's a New York Comic Con, a San Diego Comic Con, a you know a, a Heroes Con, or any of the big ones, these companies are traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles to go there because they know there's a huge you know purchasing audience that is going to come in and they're looking for stuff, and that is an incentive. On a smaller scale, I think it's a disincentive for a lot right. of these people. Um, yeah, and one thing we ran into, you know, you learn things from year to year. One thing we did in year one was we actually had sponsorships where stores, you know, who wanted to support us more would be a sponsor. And we'd put them on the poster and we'd promote them and all this stuff. And then we quickly realized that there were some stores who didn't want to get a booth. That's not just what their business model is, not just to go set up at shows. But they also weren't going to hang a poster or carry our flyers because they had the logo of another comic book store on them. Yeah. So then, so then year two, you know, we're not having store specific sponsors and more stores are carrying our posters and stuff like that. Um, but it also, it, yeah, like I said, it's just a hard, like in my naive brain, I was like, oh, why wouldn't every time they sell a comic, they would tell somebody about our store and, and tell them they should get tickets to our show and, and all this stuff. And then you quickly realize like, man, that, that guy running the register that at that moment has 15 other things on his mind. He's not, inter you know, mm -hmm. it's not, it's, it's not his boss telling him to promote their store. It's some random guy that who just thought we would all be in this together. And for a lot of it, a lot of the community, we are all in it together, but there are, you know, you, 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 I quickly realized like they, they can't possibly care as much as I want them to care about it because they're running businesses and they're managing employees and they're worried about their own bottom line and promoting their own events. And it's, so it's, it's a whole new, uh, I was never like a marketing guy or anything like that. So to me, every year is like, I'm learning new stuff every year. And and if I can keep this going, maybe like in a decade, I'll have it like dialed in perfectly. If, if that's possible. <laughs> you could also, I would try to, if you can start gathering data on the vendors who you do have and find out how how they did and you don't have, it doesn't have to be specific to that thing saying so and so did this well but what you can do is you can start generating statistics and have right. data data sets that support this idea and then when you do talk to these you know places that maybe don't, don't want to participate at this moment then they go oh geez i could i can make a good bump you know, in a soft quarter and get, you know, pull stuff, you know, but I mean, it, like you said, it requires an infrastructure on their end. They need to have long boxes ready to go. They need to have, you know, two or three people dedicated to being there for the weekend. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of you know, transportation, yeah. et cetera and so forth. And if you don't have that, 
you know, that investment goes, well, how much is this worth to me? Because they're not going to do it for just your show. This is the thing where they go have to say, okay, I have to do this for five shows, 10 shows a year to make this make money for me, which is right. a different business. Yeah. And, and each, each retailer kind of treats it differently. I have some retailers who are buying like three booths and they're going to have a whole setup and it's a, it's a big thing for them. And then I have other retailers who are like, Oh, I got these dollar comic bins. Let me just lug those down there and just try to unload. Like, I think last year we had some retailers just selling, like you could buy the whole long box. You can buy a long box of comics. It's like a mystery box for like <laughs> 20 bucks, you know, like they're just trying to clear space at their store and maybe hand out business cards or, you know, bring this, bring this uh, flyer in next time you're in our shop, you know, it's kind of like self-promotion, but they can get rid of some of their, their quarter books or their dollar books. Mm. Um, and then you also have people who are bringing like, you know, copies of like, uh, you know, X-Men number one or whatever they think someone's going to have, you know, and, and maybe there is that one collector that has the money for it at that show. Um, so it is interesting to see, how each kind of person who gets a re a retailer or a vendor table, how they approach it and what they're, what they're trying to get out of it. And, and like I said, I'm friendly, I'm friendly with a, a few local retailers. And I think a lot of them, for them, they're doing it for me. They want to support this kind of endeavor. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to break even, or maybe even lose a little bit. Like uh, there's a retailer from Northern Arizona that comes down, he's got to get a hotel and he's got to do all this other stuff, you know? So I understand some of it is supporting me and then some of it is just all bi like business, business, business. And hope, hopefully I could, we can grow to a point where it's again, mutually beneficial and also kind of in the middle, like let's support an arts event. And the bottom line doesn't have to be about money. That's kind of what I'm, because that's, that's why you get uh, media guests who, cause they're going to sell tickets or that's why mm -hmm. a, a lot of creators now have, uh, agents and they have minimums they make and they get paid to be at shows and stuff like that. And it's because it's such a business. And I think everyone should make their money, especially creators who have no retirement uh, plan and no 401k. They should get paid when they can get paid. But yeah. also I'm not in a position to be able to pay those guys anything yet. So I also kind of want to, you do me a favor and maybe in 10 years when I can give you you know, money to come out for a show, then we bring you back out or something like that. Like, let's all grow together to be to get to a point where we can all be happy after the show grows. Um, so that's kind of my thought behind the process uh, behind the show. Yeah, I, and I think it's, you know, we're in this really interesting period. You know, you, you brought up all these points of, you know, the entertainment guests and um, cosplay guests and many other types of interests that people have anime uh and you know this is you know socially way out there like this you know you you reel the clock back 20 30 years no one could have envisioned this nobody could have like people even people who were running comic conventions would go like boy if we could get twenty five thousand guests for a whole weekend here in new york city we're we're gonna be golden you know and now it's like you know it, it, how do we handle two hundred fifty thousand people right and all this attention has been focused on a, you know and we know where it comes from it comes from the movies the video games and cartoons like that's where we're get, that's where we're getting all this attention you know turned the eye of sauron has aimed itself at all this sort of niche entertainment but 
to your point, like it would be really great if we can elegantly and gracefully build something when we kind of know this won't last forever. Like it, it, this stuff never lasts forever. We don't, it, it's a trend and it's a healthy trend, but it may not be a permanent thing. It mm-hmm. just could be, you know, we could be on the down arc. We don't know. I mean, I, I mean, emotionally, I think we're on the down arc, even with the Marvel movies. I don't think they have the same sort of social gravitas they did five, you know, plus years ago. Right. So I think, you know, if we can look at it, we were, I was, you know, I was talking with someone on the show recently about the idea that there's this huge, you know, middle grade and young, you know, YA market for graphic novels right now, but mm-hmm. there's no, there's no market for graphic novels beyond that age group. Right. It's just, you know, well, then I guess you're just going to have to go buy a Marvel graphic novel, which right. not, not denigrating that, but they are nothing alike. You know, you're, when you're writing stories about like people and then you're writing stories about people with powers. Very different. Right. Like I've always thought, and I think, I don't remember who the publisher was, whether it was Oni or somebody, but maybe like a decade ago, they tried to do these adult manga sized kind of black and white graphic novels. Chris Somney and Andy Parks did one. And I want to think uh, uh, Brian Hurt and maybe Colin Bunn did one. And it's kind of geared towards that, like adult who doesn't want to read superheroes, who grew mm-hmm. up on manga to still be able to feel comfortable like reading their their comics on the subway or in the train or you know try to make them more acceptable like they are in other countries and it still kind of surprises me that that's not a bankable business model in publishing today like like why isn't darwin cook's hunter graphic novels available in manga size you know formats Dude, it's, I mean, this is, this is a question that has been in my head for, I don't know, 30 years easily. Uh, you know, how do we go on? And like, I, it's, you know, and this is not anything against superheroes. I cut my teeth on superheroes. I love superheroes. And there's something magical about superheroes. But there's more than just superheroes. The anime people, the, the cosplay people, the whatever, the game people, et cetera, and so forth. And I don't think that they're the same audience. I think that, you know, I, I, I sat at my table and I watched cosplay kids in these fantastic costumes, having a great time. No eyes did they ever turn at a comic book creator's table or a comic book right. selling vendor. Never. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking is if, I mean, there it's it's a wide base of similar similar interests, but it's not, it's, it's not the same. Like you're saying, like if someone's going and buying the ticket package to get their photo taken with uh, Jensen Ackles, they're not buying uh, your buddy's indie comic, like black and white zine down on the sales floor. You know, that's not what they're going there mm-hmm. for. So the, so it is kind of, so that's kind of what we're focusing on is and then what, what we noticed in year one are no, obviously our attendance numbers weren't close to any of the other conventions that I've ever been to. Uh, I mean, this is like an old school, like hotel lobby convention almost is kind of what we're doing. A hundred tables is all that can fit in this auditorium that we do our show at, but everyone was buying stuff and it's because parking was free. Tickets were, people weren't buying memberships for the weekend. They're buying tickets to the event and the tickets were cheap and parking was free and people just had money to spend. I mean, even a, even 
even shows that are great and shows that do their best for comics and, and to do their best to showcase creators and showcase, showcase comics. They're still charging a family of four, well over a hundred dollars for a single day, plus parking downtown, plus yeah. you know food and all that stuff. Like where we're at right now, the food is cheap. The parking is free. The tickets are like 15 bucks. Like it's, and we, and we, we felt that the people who, who were there selling things, uh, the way I tell people is if you do shows and you normally do well, you would do really well at our show. If you're a really niche indie guy and you struggle at Phoenix Fan Fusion, you're going to struggle at my show. It's not it's not magically going to make your sales get better, but your sales are going to be on par with a huge show for a one day commitment with a much more relaxed environment. People People engage more because you don't have these long lines where they're just rolling people over and rolling people over. It's not photo ops. People are chatting with fans. Fans are really getting time to spend with their with these creators. Uh, I, I'm not going to say his name, but one of our guests is a, is a very well-known creator, does a lot of shows. Him and his wife are telling me like, oh, this is the most fun we've had at a show in a long time because it's they're not here just to get their slabbed book signed. They're here to talk mm-hmm. to this creator and tell this creator how much that work meant to them and to maybe get an art, you know, a, a little head sketch or, or a print or something like that. And it's not a bunch of uh, of people just flipping their G- their graded books or whatever. You know, it's real comic fans talking to real comic creators. And the the feedback last year was overwhelmingly positive. We just want to try to to grow it. And um, I, I wish all those kind of had like going back to heroes. Like for a long time, their their guest coordinator or their guest liaison is a comic creator or was a comic creator for many years. And I think yeah, that's one reason why so many pros like a lot of pros who won't, who, who usually get, uh, you know, travel and everything for shows, they pay their own way to go to heroes because it's such an amazing show and such an amazing weekend and stuff like that. Um, and that's the vibe I wanted to create essentially was, yeah. And I've told Rico this, like, this is what I want. I want to do what you do. And I want to, yeah. I want to build something like what Heroes has. It's a great example for me. Yeah. It's also that like, I mean, and you pegged it, I think, is the barrier to entry. If you can lower the barrier to entry to most anything in the world, I, I think you're going to get a, you, you can get a greater return if the quality of the experience is good. I, I, I've, I, I've always felt that, like, you know, you see people like, oh, well, I charge whatever for this thing. I'm like, well, if, you, if you did something, if you could do that and cut the price down, I think you'd sell more units. Like if you can figure a way to lower your cost of good and get that thing out there, you're going to get a higher, higher number. And that is going to shoot your overall numbers way up. Yeah. And it's, it's a big show. That's a big money show. It's all treated almost like a spectacle. Like the attendees should just be happy that they have the chance to do, to go to this show. Where I want, I want our creators to feel like happy to be there to then talk to the fans who are also happy to be there. And it's a mutual kind of just overwhelmingly positive vibe. It's not all about money, even though people are making money and it's not all about the hard sale. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not someone paid $500 for their small indie, indie booth. And they got to, they got to push sales as much as possible because they got to make that money back or it's a loss. Like our tables are super affordable, super cheap. And it, it allows kind of a relaxed environment throughout the whole room. Like I, it really, like I said, last year, almost everyone had 
had something in their hands. And if you go to a big yeah. show, you know, if you've been at a big show and you spend time there, a lot of people are walking around with nothing in their hand. And it's because they have, they have, li- they have a certain amount of money they can spend because the rest of it went to something else. So they're all looking for that perfect thing rather than, Oh, I'm going to take a chance on this book. I've never seen. I really like it. Let me take a chance on it because I have the extra money on me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, you're speaking the language and, you know, I, I, I like hotel lobby conventions. I, yeah. I mean, like there's, so I lived in New York city for tw- 25 years and the majority of the time that I was going to shows and I'm talking at, you know, either as a fan or as a tabling uh, creator, they were in the hotels. It, it's nuts, but those, to me, those shows are fantastic because there's a, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of charm to mm-hmm. the to these shows that that take place in these not sort of purpose built you know giant locations which cost a ton of money like a ton of like the hotels making money they're already making money there's people staying in the hotel they already make their dough like right. this is a gravy business the convention center you got they got to they got to put people into that convention center to make their money yeah. And the way I was talking about kind of grassroots, like trying to um, educate's not the right word, but sort of like involve fans, involve retailers. It's also involving creators because I want creators to get back into that. Like kind of we're all in this together. Like when I first started doing shows and, and artist alley at tables, you know, it was sort of like uh, it's us against the world. We're all banding together. We're all trying to like make it in this business. And now a lot of people are making it in this business, but I, I still like that camaraderie, that kind of like, yeah, we're in this, we're doing this. And that's the kind of vibe, you know, I noticed at Heroes and it's kind of vibe I noticed at my show last year was, you know, because I had to tell the guests that came in who are used to getting like, uh, you know, banquet lunches served every day at lunch and a volunteer to come sit at your table so you can go sit in the green room for an hour and rest. We don't have that. So like, but but no one, no one even said anything about it. You know, I, I I just told them like, hey, think of it as like, again, like a really small show. Maybe when you were first starting it out, starting out like a, mm-hmm. and everyone I, I felt like just was having a good vibe that way, you know? And then as this, you know, as every show gets slow. So if you do a three day show, it's going to get real slow on Sunday. If you do a one day show, it's going to get real slow at like three thirty four in the afternoon. And that's when I started noticing like people getting up from their tables and then they're doing their shopping or then they're going to see their friends and, and it became a real kind of really neat, like collaborative, fun, like hang while the con is still going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even talked to some people this year and I was like, well, maybe we'll just end the show early this year. Like, and they just have the hours to close at like four thirty or five because it was dead. And, and more than one person told me like, oh, don't do that. Cause that's when we all just sat around and chatted, you know? And that's right. And yeah. Like, yeah. That, that makes sense. Like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of the all for one kind of mentality. We're all in this together uh, at a, at an event like that. Yeah, and I think it's getting the people to get like the creators together. I think that's yet you know, <laughs> this is just an ad for Heroes Con, right? Um, the, the, the hang the hang is the point is kind of what I right. think. Yeah, my memories sitting at a table, smiling, drawing, signing autographs, whatever the thing is, they're great. And I, there's nothing more fan. There's nothing more, you know, 
ego stroking than you know doing those kinds of things right but those aren't my those aren't my favorite memories right like my favorite memories are spending time with friends making a new friend you know mm -hmm. like bumping into someone and next thing you know you're the best friends in the world because yeah. you have this stupid you know thing that you both like to do which is draw silly pictures and that you will I you always look back and go, I had the best time at that. And you will chase the dragon, which means go back to it to right. try to have that recreate that 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 sort of that, that magic. And right. So being able to focus that and give that space to the people who are attending, because you're, you know, let's 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 really stick it to Jensen Ackles. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but I don't even know. I think is he is the he's the uh green arrow guy, right? No, he, uh, Jensen Ackles was one of the supernatural guys. See, I don't even know. But anyway, yeah. but like, but for him, he's he's hopping he's hopping out of town immediately, right? Or you know, I mean, supposedly, I mean, he's yeah. not, but he's certainly not going to the mixers. Yeah, the, he, yeah, yeah. He's taking his uh, he's taking his um, metaphorical or quite literal garbage bag full of cash and getting on the first plane out of town. Right. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, he's not, um, he's not available for be like, Oh, do you want to get lunch tomorrow morning before your flight? He's not that guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I love trying to draw analogies. Like my, my whole analogy about the comic convention thing. And this is, you know, I grew up skiing. I love skiing. It's like my, one of my favorite things to do, but my favorite places to ski are the places that remind me of the places I skied when I was young, because there's no big fancy gondola and all this sort of hoo-ha and open fire pits and magical this and live that happening. It is, you know, a wooden structure where they serve hot chocolate and beer and you can get on a, a lift, you know, risking your life to get to the top of the mountain and then, then risk your life on the way back down. Like that to me is the memories and that's what I want to go do. Like I want that experience right. again. And I think for conventions, a lot of that is the same. Like, yes, New York Comic Con is phenomenal, but it it is overwhelming. It mm -hmm. is this huge thing where you you are truly fighting the masses just to move around the space. And then you go to other shows and you're like, this is great because it's just people who are here loving comic books, having a great time, and it's not too much. So yeah, I think for me, going back to the whole like kind of Arrested Development sort of situation is the first show I ever did when I had no books out, we were pitching something, but somebody knew somebody. So we got into kind of a row of like young image creators and we were kind of hanging out with them all weekend. And I just remember getting home and I'm like, I haven't even really made a comic, but is this if this is what conventions is like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> We did karaoke. We made like a family dinner. We we all like had like a bunk style sleepover in someone's garage. I'm like, this is amazing. I went to a house party and like met Jim Mafood and hung out and all this other fun stuff. Right. Like, I'm like, this is amazing. I want to do this all the time. And then I quickly realized most shows are not like that. Like it's that that was, a, you know, and but yeah, that's the dragon I'm chasing is and all of this. Honestly, if, if I break everything down to why I put on events, it's to it's for the hang. If I could find a way to monetize, if I could get uh, Wacom and Marvel and DC to just fund creative summits for creators with no editorial input or no publishers or yeah. anything like that, that would be it. I want to sit around. I want to talk storytelling and I want to sit around and look at, we had a drink and draw the other night to promote our event. And uh, one of the local art collectors brought a portfolio. So we're flipping through his portfolio, like 
fawning over all these original pages he has in there. Like, that's what I want. I mean, that's the whole goal of it. Um, the convention itself is secondary to facilitate bringing this stuff together, you know, but I do love, I do love people who come to the show. Trust me. Well, you know, but it, it's, well, two, two things off of that one. So I went to the, um, the Nebula um, conference last year, which is for science fiction authors. So I went th to this in uh, LA and it, it, it was only people who wrote and then agents and then the people who ran the, the, the conference. So there were no, I mean, I was as about as touristy in that situation as anyone gets, but I mean, I, there are these, you know, top tier, a number one, you know, science fiction authors and fantasy authors doing their thing. And, but there's nobody running around asking for autographs. It was all just the creators doing creator stuff, sitting around eating food, talking about the craft and et cetera and so forth. And then it's just table a panel discussion after panel discussion. So you could just go from room to room and kind of engage that way. So I'd love it if there was something like that. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, is that would mean that the, yeah, you'd have to get some sort of sponsorship, but you would also have to get the creators to pony up their own cash to be a part of this because the mindset of this now is this is a business this weekend is going to generate a certain amount of income for me versus I'm going to get to go to spend time in the city and have a good time with my, my friends, which is right. what it really was for a lot, very long time. Yeah. And it's also to convince, you know, uh, comic creators who already do a lot of shows and already do a lot of commitments and store signings and stuff like that to be like, Oh, let's add another weekend onto your schedule that you're away from your wife and kids and you're, you know, or your husband and your children and you're, you're away from your partners who you're already gone mm -hmm. 20 weekends a year. Let's add another one on there just so we can all just hang out without the commitment of a convention. Like, I don't know if that would ever happen unless again, a big, a big sponsor came up and just said like, everyone who comes here gets a flat fee. We're going to cater your meals. Like that's, that would be hard to come by. And for someone like me, I would never be invited to that show unless I put on that show. So, it's like, right. so it's like my dream would be something I would have to manifest. And right. I, don't, I don't think it's I have just not grant, a bad thing. I don't have that. I don't know if I have the grant writing skills to get, uh, you know, to get uh, $50,000 investment or something like that. But I don't that, think you, ha you don't have that. You don't have the, those skills. You have to have the idea. And then you speak to the person and then you have the person who has the skills to actually execute that. And that's all right. it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it would be. It would be an interesting experiment to try to develop that idea. And then if you could graft it onto a convention mm -hmm. and well, somehow, yeah. you know, pull, pull that off where you can go, Hey, like, it, like a, like a San Diego being an example, like it starts on what Wednesday, but like maybe Thursday is that day. And that that's when these, the creators get to have the, you know, the getaway. Yeah. I, I think there might be a show like that, or I could be confusing it. I think, uh, I think some publishers do that on a day before there is a show that has a day, but it's, it might be more for retailers and stuff like that. Like they, they tour you around the city and they, maybe I'm thinking of like comics pro or something like that, like a retailer right. specific event. But yes, again, I, I've thought of that too. And then once again, you'd have to have a really dedicated, uh, 
convention to do that because they're paying, they're renting that spot for a week. That's sure. why that's why that's why San Diego is Wednesday through Sunday, and for a while Phoenix was I think Wednesday through Sunday for a couple of years till they realized like we don't need to be a four day convention plus a preview night. Um, but I get it. I mean they're they're just burning money those other three days. They might as well oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, that would be great, and that's kind of again like you said free ad for heroes. That's kind of what the heroes dead dog party is. Yeah, you go, you yeah. go through the whole weekend. You get you stay out late. You get up early, and so you can have that Sunday night. And that's why everyone books their. The first year I did Heroes, I booked a like a nine o'clock flight on Sunday, and someone was like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Like you don't even want a Monday morning flight, man. You want a Monday afternoon flight." And I was like, "So yeah, no, no, it's it's totally true. Of course, now we've given away the secret to people who don't know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You were talking earlier about." conventions becoming too big and too much. And that's kind of how I feel about San Diego. Like I haven't been to San Diego since 2009. And I'm, and yeah. I mean, I only had like one or two indie books out before that. So I've done bigger work since that. But again, no one, you know, uh, I'm for the most, the biggest books I work on are I color them and DC is not going to give a, a colorist of a mini series, a, a signing slot at their booth at San Diego. Right. right. So it doesn't make sense for me to, to do all that. I would like to, again, I would like to go for the hang, but I'm not going to, I can't afford a hotel room for even one night for the hang, you know, at San Diego Comic-Con, unless I'm sleeping on floors and I'm getting a little too old for that. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, big cons are fun, but they're, they're just not for me. I can't, it's too much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's expensive. The whole thing is it's an expensive, it's an expensive endeavor regardless. And, and I get it. And there's a lot of great opportunities out there on the creative side to go to all these different shows because lots of shows want, a, they want a sort of a, a new fresh kind of group every year, along with the sort of the core people they keep. And, but it's, it's a, it's a gamble now. It's a, you know, it's a gamble. So um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I love the idea that you're creating this, you've created the show, which is sort of a back to the, you know, the essence of a comic convention, which is kind of cool. Yeah. We even had uh, for year one, there was a local store who uh, they do uh CGC stuff and, you know, kind of like the, they bring guests in for one day signings and stuff like that. And they offered to bring in uh, an actor who was on like some, some show on Netflix or something like that. And he's, and they were like, well, we're bringing him in for a signing the day after your show. So you can just have him as a guest at your show. And, you know, you give us like our table for free, or I don't know. I don't remember how they wanted to work it. And my, I, I just said, no, like, no, no. Like I, I understand he's essentially a free media guest, but that will like, when I, when I wrote down my notes, my initial notes for what I want ASCAF to be, that's one of the, one of the first foundational rules is no guest who doesn't work on in comics mm -hmm. so like if next year Patton Oswalt wanted to come out yeah Patton writes comics I'll be happy yeah. to have Patton out because he writes comics or Dan Fogler uh who I who I met at a show once I mean he's written comics so he they at least have written a comic or have worked in a comic and it's not just uh oh yeah they're on this tv show that's sort of not even comic related but pop culture related um and so that's just one of the rules is like, you got to make comics. And then uh, we, we curate our show. Cause it's only, like I said, it's only a max of a hundred tables. 
So we're not like a regular con where anyone can just log online and buy a table. I curate the tables. And one of the major criteria is you got to make comics. You know, yeah. I, I'm trying not to be too, I got to be a little gatekeeperish because we have limited tables. And I also want to make this in a, a, a boutique style premium kind of event experience. Um, so I gatekeep a little bit, but I try not to, but if someone's out there making zines and they're, they're making the comic and they're working in comics and not just doing the occasional sketch cover or something like that, they're in, I mean, I'm not going to, they're doing the work and they they're passionate about comics. And that's, that's what's important to me is are you passionate about comics or, or, or are you a graphic designer who wants to make a comic or are you a, a, a novelist who wants to write comics? That's not the same thing as someone who makes comics and, I guess I am going to be a little gatekeeper in that, in that field. And that's kind of a weird position to be in. And I've, you know, kind of struggled with it a little bit. Cause I, I don't, I think people already assume that I'm kind of grumpy and, and not super friendly <laughs> and that doesn't help, but I'm also not just going to let anybody buy a table so they can sell like their earrings or whatever, you know. When you say that, I don't see it as a term as, as gatekeeping because, because, it's more akin to fulfilling a promise and the promise that you make, and I'm putting words in your mouth, but the promise is you promise the people who are coming here, who are comic book fans, that they are going to be able to spend a day with comic book creators. And that's it. That's it. Straight up. You know, nothing more like I, you know, so last year I'm staying there at Heroes and I'm I'm talking to friends, whatever. And every year people go, well, why don't you have a table? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. But like I'm like, listen, I haven't been in the business as a as a you know as an artist in over 20 years. So who wants to sit who wants to come up at a table and look at a bunch of old artwork? And the person I saw I could do just kind of like swung their finger all the way around and said like well literally everybody here in this building is what that that's what they that's why they're here they're right. here to look at artwork whether it's new or old that's what they do right. and i was like oh you're you're right you know right. but it was one of those kind of weird moments because i viewed it as currently making currently doing is the value versus the value of the legacy of it or whatever the thing is, or, you know, and the, and the, and the relationship you have with the subject. Um, and it doesn't, you know, and, and to your point, it doesn't diminish that graphic designer who wants to make a comic book or that author who wants to write a comic book. It doesn't, these are, this is great, but to fulfill the promise to the people who are paying you money to come in is that they're going to walk up and they're going to be able to buy a comic book from nearly every single person sitting at a table in that place. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the goal. Like there, there are some people who are really good illustrators and maybe they're sketch cover artists or something like that, or maybe they do store specific covers. But I'm like, like that, uh, doing a cover for a store you're not, uh, you're not making the comic, you're drawing an illustration and there's nothing wrong with that too. We have some illustrators nope. that are great. Um, but again, maybe the bar's a little higher. Like if you're at my show and you're strictly an illustrator, you're going to be a really good illustrator. Or there's even a little a little bit of uh, conceit in there that's like, oh, I know you personally and you're a good person. Uh, you do good work. 
and you've been supportive of me in the past, I'm supportive of you now. Like there's always going to be that too. Like I got my guys and that, that term has been thrown back at me kind of in a negative way before. Like, Oh, you got your guys. You got to, you got to expand past your guys. And I'm like, I'm willing to do that, but they're always going to be my guys because they're good people. They're good creators. And I just want, I want them around when we, when we do these events, I want these people around me because I know that they're, yeah, they're, they're good people. They do great work. Like, like they're so, again, I talk about the Phoenix community. We got, we got people, lots of people who work on image books, Oni books, DC books, Marvel books. Like we have a huge, I mean, we're not Portland, but we're, we're, we're pretty good. I mean, we got a lot of pros in the Valley and we do good work and they're good people and I'm always going to have them. So maybe they haven't had a book out in three years. It doesn't matter to me. They're going to, you know, they're there. Um, yeah. I just want to be around good people who do good work that I, I personally know are good people that do good work. Yeah. And, and it's also something I, it's one less thing I have to worry about. I know, uh, you know, there's a local guy, uh, Jim Hanna. I know Jim's good with people. I know Jim does fun work and Jim's good with people and people like Jim Hanna. He's at the show. Shout out to Jim Hanna. Like that kind of thing. Like it's a, to me, it's a no brainer. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let somebody in that, that I don't personally know that is maybe not doing really high quality work that then I have to worry about and might, I don't know. I don't want to deal with that. You know, maybe I have to deal with that. If the show gets bigger and we have 200 tables, then I definitely got to deal with that. But right now it can be manageable and for good or for good or bad, I'm the person managing it. If that makes sense. Yeah. We also live in a, a, a current time and even in comics where you have to vet people. Like I have to, when, when people are buying tables at my show or, or, you know, they're applying and I'm saying, we'd be happy to have you. And then they're like, oh, okay, cool. I have a friend who's going to sit with me. I have to be like, okay, who is, who's going to be sitting with you? Do you have a link to their work? Like, it's like, you got, you have to, yeah. you have to vet it's, as, as bad as it is. Like even at a small show, you have to vet everyone that's going to be at your show because I don't want to have a problem at the end of the day or during the day. And You mentioned earlier about um, sort of the punk rock lifestyle of your first convention, you know, mm -hmm. cra crashing in a bunkhouse kind of, you know, garage set up and hanging out with the food. Right. What book were you working on at that time? So I was pitching a book. This is funny. It's a little segue. I had a note. I listened to a couple of your episodes. I had a note that I made a, a, a mention of because it, it rang true for me. But. It, I was pitching a book to image called hurricane kids. It was like, just like a superhero book. And this was back when uh, Eric Larson was still the publisher before Stevenson. And uh, I think it was Colin, Colin Bunn's episode where he said like he getting into comics was easy. Like he got his first comics job kind of easy or his first book got published. So the first book I pitched was this book, Eric Larson. Uh, he liked it. And then we actually went back and forth. I got like a Christmas card from image that year. I was like, Oh my gosh, what's happening. But it finally ended. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to sell this. Like, unless you're invincible, this ain't going to sell. And so it, that went on for like nine months of whether we're going to publish this book or not. And then during that time, I pitched another book. There used to be a publisher called Viper comics out of Texas, published another book or I uh, pitched another book with Viper. Viper picked it up. So my first book was currently chatting with Eric Larson about whether they're going to publish it. This next book I pitched got picked up, released, and then got optioned. 
So I was just like, oh, comics are indie comics are easy. Like, what is everyone it's complaining a breeze. about? <laughs> like, this is a breeze. Like, I'm on the image. I'm I'm getting Christmas cards from Eric Larson. I'm getting you know, like all this money from like Sony or whoever optioned it. Like, I'm like, this is great. And then you know, it's been a dry spell ever since, as far as indie comics go. But uh, yeah, that's kind of like I just thought it was easy, and it wasn't. Um, no. But back then, it kind of was easier. If you remember back in like 06, 07, when Speakeasy Comics was around, there were a lot of indie publishers publishing really good stuff. And everything was getting option. Like if you, if you sneezed onto an indie comic, you were getting an option somehow. Um, so I think, I think I came in at the right time, but I just didn't have the staying power. And I'm not narcissistic enough or anything to understand. I, I know why I didn't keep working in indie comics. And I, I did. I mean, I've been working in comics for like 20 years, but it's always on like corporate stuff or small pitch stuff or Kickstarter stuff, not like a career career. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I started coloring books at like Image or DC or stuff like that. Like this was so long into the career. Um, but yeah, it was it was a book called uh, Hurricane Kids, which I thought was great. I still have an email like everyone has that embarrassing email. So one of my email addresses is still tied to that pitch project. And um, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, I mean Man, comics was fun in 05, 06, 07. I wish I would have been a little older. Uh, so I could or more into the industry. So I really could have uh, been involved at that time rather than just be that kind of a hanger on. But it's, it's, it's so hard, man. The, um, you know, the, the, the perspective of looking at everything that I didn't see, you know, in my, in my formative years of the business, it's just, boggling i'm like how did i how did i not see what is so obvious today what i should what i all i had to do was just do this and that would have been fine and i because you know for me it was easy too like i i I mean no i mean it's not that i didn't work hard i worked hard for you know nearly two years but i was in college i was i had i had the cushion of not having to do anything but do this and i did that and I got out and I got hired right away. Oh, okay. So now I'm at Marvel. That was it. But I didn't, I didn't understand like how that business worked. So I just thought like, okay, well now I'm in, everything's fine. Right. And it took a long time to figure out that that wasn't the case. Yeah. You think that when you, at least I thought like, oh, I'll just do like one indie book a year. I'll, I'll keep my day job. I'll do one indie book a year. It'll get option for 20 grand. And then we'll just build off this. I'll, I'll be I'll be Kirkman without being Kirkman. Basically, I'll just be getting all, all this option money and stuff. And then you, I quickly realized, like, oh no, like now Eric Larson's not returning my emails about another pitch or something like that. You know, I was like, like I was just so naive, and I was like, oh well, he's gonna he knows me now, you know. And I and I've I've hung out with Eric. I brought Eric out for a show. I've spent weekends driving him around and hanging out with him. And then I see him in, at Heroes and I talk to him and, and I always got to reintroduce myself. And that's not a him thing. I mean, he meets hundreds of people at every convention. It's it's a it's just like I, I quickly realized like, oh, this isn't this isn't nearly as easy as I thought it was. Oh, and actually, it's not easy at all. Like it is constant yeah. hustle. And that's never changed. I mean, I've been working full time in comics for 12 years or something like that. And it's still feast or famine. I've never been one of those creators who has my next year planned out. It's always like, Oh, I got too much work now. Ah, and then, Oh, I don't have any work for two months. And it's like, it's just, uh, 
it's it's both a young man's game, but also it's it's the highs and lows of it are kind of something I didn't expect when I thought I wanted to be a comic book artist, even though people told me it's going to be t- hard. Yeah, you don't you don't, yeah, think you don't know it. what hard is. You <laughs> have no idea what you, you know what I mean. Like you because because you can't you can't easily say here's how it hard is going to be because everybody's heart is different. Right. You are fighting for your life every every time you pick up your you know tool of destruction, whatever that thing is. Right. It's so it's a very hard thing to, to say to someone, hey, you know, like the 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 most, you know, I remember one of my editors goes like, all right, like take half that money and and put that in, in the in the bank, save that money, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like and like because he knew you, you're not gonna you're not gonna have work next month, and you need to make sure that you have. Right. You you can spread this out. I've said this recently. We judge ourselves on the successes, mm-hmm. not on the struggles we see around us. It is about hustling and doing the work. Like you need to hustle and do the work. And I didn't know how to hustle. I knew how to get in the door. I knew how to talk. I knew how to get to a point. But hustle isn't landing a gig. Hustle is filling that calendar out as you said, making sure that they, well, back in that day, it was pick up the phone, but, you know, answer the email, keep that, that communication going, because that is the only way that you can keep right. any freelance lifestyle going. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough because I mean, if I email, you know, 13 editors being like, Hey, my schedule opens up in a month and I'm looking to, to fill some, some projects, some time. I'm one of 10 freelancers who emailed them that day. So if, 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 you know, if five of the 13 get back to me and they're all going to get back to me with, we'll keep you in mind, it's almost the same answer for all all of them. I'm, I'm still thrilled that even a third of them got back to me. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And that's what I, when people, nobody wants to hear it, but when I'm at a show or I'm on a podcast or something like that, and people ask like, Oh, so what's your biggest advice for, if I want to make comics, what's your biggest advice? And I say, don't get married, don't have kids. And and get live in a house with like four other people for as, sure. for as long as you can handle it. Because don't the only way to break into, especially indie comics. Like I have as a colorist, as a freelance colorist, I have my DC rate. And then I have a fun little project from this small publisher that I, that I would like to color with a friend of mine. And that rate is, that rate is a third of my like DC rate, for example. Mm-hmm. So then trying to explain that like at a dinner party with my wife and her friends that like, oh, yeah, I'm going to color this book. And then I really want to work on this book, but it's going to be a 60 percent pay cut if I take this job. They can't wrap their heads around it. They're like, oh, but you're doing the same amount of work for 60 percent less. And I'm like, yeah. And it, it that's just how it like that's how it works out. If you're if you're in the freelance uh, indie comics kind of freelance, you know, Marvel, DC, their rates are kind of set. But yeah, it, you have to be super flexible and you have to be realistic about how much energy and, and, and work you can put into a project and, and whether it's the page rate is appropriate for you. You know, like I, I've had to turn down work with guys that I want to color uh, creators. I want to color, sorry. And, and it's just, it's like, well, I just can't, I can't for that page rate. I can't. And I, and I'm not mad yeah. at the publisher. I, I've self published my own comics. I know how expensive it can be. Like I'm not, I don't ever like uh, uh, knock a publisher for what they're willing to offer. Um, mm-hmm. Well, there are some publishers I can knock, but I'm not going to, but you know, it, it's just sad that it, like, oh yeah, I want to work with this person, but I can't do it for that. I just can't do it for that. You know, like 
that's kind of a bummer in our industry as well. Like it's kind of something you never would expect when you are a kid and you want to make comics. You don't have to worry. You don't have to think about that. Well, the, the, the fact that the, um, the, every, everything you do is the portfolio for the next thing. So it's even hard to do the Shaquille O'Neal smile model, which is, you know, depending on how much money said endorser would pay him, that's how big his smile would be for the, you know, for the ad. And like, you go, oh, okay. Like I get that. I mean, it's a funny way of, you know, putting it, but right. You can't like, you can't take a gig and go, yeah, well, I'll just give the 50% because you don't know which publisher is going to look at that 50% and go, but I thought I thought they were better than this, but I guess uh, you know maybe we'll look for somebody else, and right. you're 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 done at that you know with their it take, it's going to take you you're back to zero and you have to fight your way all the way back in with them. Yeah, I think I've I mean honestly I think I've suffered from that where I've kind of been like oh I just I took this job and it's a quick job and I just wanted to I want to I want to work with this publisher you know like I did that mm-hmm. with a penciling when I was still trying to get work for higher penciling work. I did a a low paying job for a publisher many years ago with kind of a tight deadline. And that editor has never even returned an email since, you know, and I thought like I was doing them a solid by knocking this issue out in two weeks. But I knew when I was drawing it, like, this is not a strong issue. This is not my best work, but I'm filling mm-hmm. up for someone else who dropped out. So it's kind of like, I thought I was doing a real solid for this publisher for a really poor rate. And then you realize like the, none of it was worth it. Like no one, no one knows that I did that book. No one, no one knows. Like no, I never signed those. They never, they never come up to my table. It's um, yeah. It's not worth it really. Like you were meant, like you mentioned, everything needs to be a portfolio piece. And yeah. if you have to, if you have to rush it, I mean, it, it goes back to design. If I have to rush this, my, you should be paying me twice as much for low quality work. If you want it that quickly, you're paying more for low quality work. Um, but yeah, and in, in hindsight, it just, it didn't do me any favors. And when I thought it was going to be like my jumping off point, you know, and that's a lesson, it's a lesson a lot of people learn, but again, I had kids, I had, you know, I, I, I started late, I had kids early. So it, you know, it's, it's tough when it's like that, you, you want to take any work to try to get a foothold in the industry and it might come back to not be a positive thing. No, and there's, a, and there's, and it, listen, there's little you can do with it because I mean, I, I had gigs you know, at Marvel and I'm doing like a four issue run on something. And then I get a phone call, you know, after issue one, they go, Hey, well, the timeline's been moved forward. So we're going to need the next issue. And, you know, in the, in the real, in the date that they gave was just completely unrealistic. It it was me doing, it was literally three pages a day to get the, to get, to meet their deadline, which wasn't the deadline. I, I, I don't begrudge. I mean, like at the time I probably was pissed off at them, but in hindsight, I'm like, no, I get it. I mean, they don't set that up. Somebody else sets it up further up the food chain. So right. that work started off great. And then ended up looking like crap. Yeah. And you go, you're like, what, what can you do? Yeah. It's interesting when you're talking to other professionals who have been in the business a long time. And then like, there's, there's one guy, um, that I was talking to and his later work was just amazing. And I was like, and we were friendly enough that I was like, man, I didn't know that you could do this kind of work. I know you from these books or whatever. 
And then uh, they were nice enough to tell me like, oh yeah, when I worked on that book, I was like 17 and I had like two weeks to draw it. And I was told to draw like so-and-so. Right. And, and I was right. like, and they were, they were like, I wanted to work in comics. And this is the nineties when rates were really well, really good. So of course you're going to take that job. So my initial opinion of them is like, oh, they're this guy. Yeah. And then I realized later, like, no, they were doing the best they could with what they had. Cause they didn't want to let that opportunity slip away. And again, back then the page rates were, were really good. So of course you want yeah. to get that gig. It's not like now, like, Oh, you don't, I don't want this opportunity slip away, but I'm also getting a really terrible page rate. Maybe I can let it slip away. Back then people were like, you know, putting down payments on cars for drawing one issue of like some Valiant comic and stuff, you know, like it was insane. Yeah. They were heady yeah, days. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. to that point, I would add when you were saying the, the, you know, the advice column, I would also add, do everything you can to not be late, mm -hmm. even a minute late on the work, because that is the single largest priority to the editor. There is no greater priority. Yeah, they they uh, they appreciate someone they don't have to worry about more than they appreciate how pretty the pages are. Yeah. 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 Uh, finished is better than perfect or whatever that term is. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's true. Who are the people that got you into the business? Like in the terms of like why you said you wanted to to make comics? Well, I mean, I grew up reading comics, obviously. And then, uh, you know, in, in the early 90s when Image was kind of kicking off and you started, I always wanted to work in comics, but in the early 90s, there were so many people working in comics on so many different kind of books with so many different styles and even back then I could see like, Oh, this person's not really that much better than me. You know, maybe, maybe I could work in comics. And then, so then it became a reality. Cause I, I've, I'm always my harshest critic. I always like, I think I'm just now currently like in the last like year getting into a comfort zone with my own drawing. Um, and, and, but back then I was like, Oh, if they can draw like this, then maybe I can make it in. And then I, so, so I was like, yeah, this would be a fun job. Like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't grow up anywhere where, the first time I ever went to a convention, I was like 18. And like, so I didn't grow up going to conventions. I just, I didn't have friends who drew comics. I didn't have friends who read comics. It was just me by myself. And it was sort of like, well, if, if they can do it and it looks like this and I can do it and comics are only going to get bigger and bigger because we're at this giant boom right now at this time when I'm like 17, 18. Sure. And then, so this will last forever. Yeah. So then I get to back to the, uh, I grew up overseas or I went to high school overseas. So when I get back to the States, I start sending out portfolios and I'm actually getting feedback, not, not jobs or anything, but they're at least replying, you know, I'm getting a letter back or a postcard back is what a lot of the studios did was a postcard. And I was like, Oh, I can do this. And then after like three or four of those, I realized like, maybe I can't do this. You know, like maybe these guys that are coming up under Sylvester and Jim Lee, who draw like them, I don't draw like them. So where, where does that leave me? Right. So then I just kind of stopped collecting comics and kind of got out of it for a while. And then I went to art school when I was in my mid twenties and I had started collecting uh, powers. And this, for me, oh, this is a big sure. moment. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I kind of draw just naturally like Mike Oming draws. And then I got more into Oming and Bruce Tim and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, this could be a possibility. So then I started finding people online again to pitch comics with again. And, and that's when like 
again, even a little nudge, like, oh, this kind of looks like we weren't getting turned down. Like we didn't, my first comic that I pitched didn't get turned down by Eric Larson because he didn't think the art was fine. It got turned down because he's like, how do I sell this? And uh, hero comics don't sell. And then, you know, of course, like I mentioned, I'd, I'd bring up in, uh, Invincible and he's like, well, that's the only one that sells. So, um, but at least that wasn't like a, you're not good enough. It was a, we don't know how to package this kind of thing. Right. And then the next book did get picked up. I mean, obviously there's no money in it at that point. Uh, I mean, there was when it got optioned. I, I, ironically enough, the sec, the first fu- full four issue series I, I drew actually made me more money than any comic I've ever done since because it got optioned multiple times. Um, <laughs> And again, that is, even though it didn't sell, and I know why it didn't sell, because it didn't look great and stuff like that, no one told me it doesn't look good. So I was like, oh, so maybe I can kind of trudge my way into comics. And that's what I did. But it was always, I was an image kid. Later on, I was, uh, to this day, I'm a Mignola kid. Uh, talking about Invincible, I'm a Cory Walker, Ryan Otley guy. Like, those are, I'm a big superhero comics guy. Um I thought I wanted to work in superhero comics until I started coloring superhero comics. And now I just want to do like small crime comics and stuff, you know, like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just, it's, I've never really considered uh, not anything else. Like it wasn't something that like, uh, I feel like I got into it late in my mid twenties, but I didn't have like a, a real job before that, you know, I was floating around yeah. stuff. I went to art school. That was kind of a mistake. And it was just, um, it was just something I felt like I could get by on and I did. And it's, it's, I've never made really great money working in comics, but my kids never starved or anything like that either. So it kind of just seemed to fit, fit my lifestyle. You know, like I don't have collared shirts. I don't have slacks. I'm the dude who wears flip-flops like 300 days out of the year. It just kind of fits, fits my lifestyle, you know, and, and it worked for me. And it's honestly, it is kind of what I wanted it to be when I was a kid just with less money, you know, I, I'm not driving Vipers around on like Sunset Boulevard. Like I thought I would be, but uh, other than that, it's, it's, it's been pretty fun. And it's um, again, I've, I've made a lot of really good friends. Like, like all my friends, I either met them before I was like 19 or I met them through comics, you know? So it's, yeah. it, it's, it's provided me a lot, uh, you know, of in, uh, intangibles that I didn't anticipate, you know, it's been kind of fulfilling that way and, and fun and, uh, but yeah, I just love comics. I mean, when I was a kid, I'd go to my dad, go with my dad to the barbershop and the barber always had uh, Iron Man comics laying in the lobby. Mm. And so I'd re I'd flip through those. And then I fell in love with Chris Claremont, Alan Davis, Jim Lee, you know, uh, Mark Silvestri, Dan Green, like all those great X-Men creators from like the late eighties, early nineties. And it's just, it's what I always wanted to do. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely get all the that all those impulses i mean i can i i I know i know those feelings in my version of them they're just they're embedded um that friendship thing i think there's um there's something truly special about creator communities when you have a community of the people who do the same thing or a similar thing there is such an excitement in sharing the 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 joy of it the you know the the hassle of it all these things are like feedback loops for us we get really really jazzed on that stuff so i i i get it um yeah i had a very i had a very strange kind of 
shift away from comic books. It happened like in a snap of a finger kind of moment in my life. And I had this whole community that I had just kind of, you know, I was on an island and they were on an island and we were just separating and going apart from each other. So right. it was a very strange fact that doing these conversations has returned me to this community yeah. in, in, a, in a way that I couldn't be happier about. Like it has been, it, it's been a phenomenal experience for me. And, you know, there's, you know, a little bit of tear of sadness, of like, wow, I can't believe that I, I, I let so many of these relationships just, you know, atrophy. Yeah. And honestly, for me, like right now, and it's, and later this spring, I'll probably going to go take a day job for the first time in 20 years or whatever. And it's, and it's funny because I'm finally, when I do get, when I do get freelance work from, from the bigger companies, I'm finally getting like a, a good quality rate, you know, something I've been wanting for so long, but I'm also getting to the point where it's like, man, I'm tired of, I'm tired of trying to stack my schedule and it's exhausting Mm -hmm. And like, uh, you know, my income from week to week to month to month is so like, and so an opportunity came up to where I can, I can take a design job and, and, and make a, a really good salary that I would never make in comics, but also, yeah. but also I can still do my own comics. And like, so I can keep my toe in comics by doing my own comic. And I, and if a fun freelance gig comes up, especially like a cover or something like that, you know, like I just signed on to do four for a color, four covers, at DC with, with, uh, with some creators I love. And I'm like, Oh, great. I can do that. Cause I don't, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I can always fit in a cover, you know, or I can always do one and a half pages a week. I don't have to fill my schedule with maybe not the best paying freelance work. And then also try to draw my own comic on top of like comics almost get to become a hobby again, which is what I, sure. them, you know? And so I'm, like part of me is like, oh, you know, I, I I'm conflicted. Like, oh, am I giving up on comics? Well, no, no, no. I'm I'm getting some stability here, you know. Mm -hmm. So and 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 then I can still make my own comic. And then since I'm penciling, inking, and coloring my comic, like you said, I always have a portfolio piece. Like, oh, I'm doing pa new pages every week. So if I do want to pursue comics again in six months or a year or, you know, whatever, I can be like, oh yeah, this is how I color now this is how I ink now. This is how I draw now. And maybe I get different jobs because my style is becoming more kind of uh, graphic, not or, like or OGN style or young adult style. Like I'm, I'm getting away from like big superhero action and getting more into like cartooning, which is ironic. It's what I was at school for. So it's, uh, I'm actually like really happy with where, where I'm at right now in my career. Cause you know, cause I'm, I'm trying to build the convention. I'm trying to, to, to make my own comics again on a regular basis rather than, Oh, I made a comic four years ago. I made another comic this year. Like now I'm trying to produce a comic a year, four issue series a year. Um, everyone uses the term, the Hellboy model, but that's the model. It's like a mini series, mini series, mini series. Sure. Um, and that's kind of what I'm jazzed about that because now I don't have to go and force like force myself to color 40 pages for a low page rate for a publisher. I don't really like who may not pay me on time for an artist I'm not jazzed about to where I'm, a, I'm I'll finally be able to like pick and choose it when an opportunity arises. If I really want to work with that person, I'll make the time to work with that person. And I don't have yeah. to, I don't have to take all the, the bummer work to get to the good work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think we have a, um, 
you know, we have a picture in our head what we think something's going to be. You know, it's you and, you and a viper driving down Sunset Boulevard. But we rarely does that sort of vision, mm-hmm. you know, you know, align with the reality of life. And, you know, it's like that sunk cost theory. Like you're like, well, I've I've stuck it out this long. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going, you know. And, and, and meanwhile, you're just like you're digging a deeper hole and you don't even see you don't because you can't see the dirt being piled up around you. Right. You know, and, and you know, once again, we judge all, all our everything based on successes. They're going, yeah, but this person, they didn't like nobody knew what they were doing. And then all of a sudden next to the, the, the biggest thing in the world, like, yeah, right. But that's like the rarity, like. I don't want to say that you're not the person who's going to do that, but also judge everything on the average and see where you lay and figure it and figure it out. It's not that we're, you're giving up on this thing. You know, right. you are, you're reframing it. You're giving yourself an opportunity to not be resentful mm-hmm. toward it because it's not, you know, it didn't give me a pony, you know, like, I mean, you have to go like, this is what I'm putting into it. And this is what I got. And I'm, if that makes me feel good. Yeah. I wanted to get to the point and it hadn't happened yet, but I could see it happening in a few years that I kept going down this uh, email editors, try to bank jobs. And, and I'm first person to acknowledge, like if, if I get a job from an editor for a four issue series and I knock it out of the park, then getting work's not really going to be a problem. I'm the first to admit like my deficiencies at that. Like I haven't, turned in that stellar project that makes me super desirable Mm -hmm. to everybody. But also there is a comfort getting to a point where it's like, Oh, if I can, if I can pay my bills and and do everything through another creative Avenue that may not be comics, then I can focus on me and I don't have to worry about why isn't this editor hiring me because I'm, I'm, I'm hiring myself. And I didn't want to get to the point where I was like, why is that person getting a job? And I didn't get a job. Like I, yeah. I could, I could color better than them. Why are they on this book? Why are they on this, this, this book? And again, you talk about the the factors in there. Like, I don't know. They're probably turning projects in super early. They're, they're working mm-hmm. weekends. Like I have certain things. Like I try to keep the same hours as my, my wife and my family. So I don't, I don't try to work nights. I don't try to work weekends, you know, and I'm on a message board with other colorists and they're all working weekends and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not as committed as you because I don't want to do that. But I do want to keep telling stories, and 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 if I make my own book, then I'm telling stories, and I can continue to, uh, basically, I can I can experiment and I can try to work on my craft without it being like, oh, I hope someone doesn't like this, because now I'm the only person that has to like it. Yeah. You know? And if I release it as a Kickstarter and it only sells, you know, three, four, or five hundred copies, that I don't care. That's fine because I did it for mm-hmm. me. You know, and I'm building and I'm building a library for me, so in three years when I am doing a bigger show like heroes, maybe I'll have four volumes of my own comic out, you know, instead of, right. instead of print DC stuff I've colored. Right. Yeah. You'll have, you'll have collected trades of, you know, you know, your old man thunder punch and you'll be happy, you know, yeah. and whatever else you choose to do, because yeah, I mean, it's very, you know, it's so hard because the, you know, that archetype is, the you know that person who goes and gets a gig writing drawing coloring for marvel or dc and has this this sort of this from the outside this amazing career as you know as a creator but 
I think there's such a there's so much more opportunity out there to do right. so many more things just in the comic book world. Yeah. And and it's a way if I do my own book, it also keeps me in the comic book world, which sure like I was saying, like it's it's a the, the relationships I have there are big for me. You know, they mean a lot to me and I want to keep nurturing them and I want to you know, go to the, go to a show, I, you know, once a year and see people that I, you know, or, or try go to a show in the Midwest and I get to see Phil Hester. I get to hang out with Phil for a weekend. Like how great is that? Right. So making yep. my own comics keeps me in comics without constantly being like distressed of the work. And again, if, you know, I go full-time freelance again, or if this opportunity falls through next week or whatever, at least I, at least I'm flexible. You know, I want to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find, um, I'm trying to find joy in comics again, which I think I lost. Yeah. I think I lost for a while because I was so concerned with how do I get this next job? How do I, you know, so-and-so's late on this. So now I'm going to be late on it. Does it reflect on me? Like I'm not the mm-hmm. reason the project's late, but the project's going in late. So if I'm the last person they talk to, then it's going to, maybe it reflects on me. So to not have to worry about that for a little while might be uh, good for my mental health. I, I no, I totally agree, and I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of ego in play in a lot of this kind of stuff where we go, oh boy, like you know, you want to be the person who is, you know, everyone is going, oh, that's the person who's doing this, like that's amazing, and it's very hard to be that person in you know in the best of conditions, and. And then you you throw in other people into the mix and the publishers and their intentions, it really diminishes the opportunities for that to happen. And that's that's the name of the game. So I think kind of a healthy approach is looking at this and saying what is going to feel like a fulfilling, you know, outlet for you. Yeah. And all that ties in the 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 convention, all that ties in. Like sometimes I'll uh-huh. come home and I'll, and there'll be an issue and I'll be stressed out about it. And my wife just has to remind me, like, you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like you're not contracted to do this. This could end tomorrow if you, if you needed it to, or, you know, you know, and that's another thing. It's, it's like the comics. Like I got to learn not to be disappointed if something doesn't work out because it doesn't always work. It most often doesn't work out for reasons out of your control yep. and, and or uh, stuff you're not willing to do. Right. Like, uh, of course, the easy thing to do would be get some voice actors in and, you know, have a cosplay contest and do all this stuff. But I mean, I'm trying to get away from that. That's the reason I, I'm trying to create a show. I'm basically trying to create a convention that I would want to go to. And I would want to be a guest at that's the, mm-hmm. and I guess it goes with comics too. These are the comics I like to read. I want to read a comic that's just fun and, 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 but not silly, but fun, but like powerful, like, you know, it's, it's all self-indulgent kind of nonsense, but also being a comic book artist is self-indulgent nonsense. Well, I mean, being, being a creative is a, is a selfish act because yeah. you're making something that you want over if you are, work for hire you're creating something that somebody else wants you know like you don't have carte blanche when 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 you get when you get the call from from your editor at you know big publisher x with very popular intelligence property character y and they say we need you to make a comic book they don't hang up the phone and then 
expect a comic book to show up in a, in a month, they go, and it has to do this, that, and the other thing. And it has to look, these characters have to be on model. Like there's none of this latitude of creating the things you want to create. And that's a really, you know, that's because it's a business. It's a profession. That's what you have to do. That's the rule of that system. There is nothing wrong with it. It may not be what everyone wants to do. And that's totally cool. Do the thing you want to do. But don't complain that you're not getting that work. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, and that again, that's the thing I've had to, I've, I've had going on the last couple of years is that kind of thing. Like, oh, I have now colored a book for DC and I have colored a bigger book for Image. Mm-hmm. Do I want to keep pursuing that? Is that who I am? Or am I the guy who wants to work with my friends and try to make a living doing it? Or, but yeah, the whole like, yeah, the, the more, uh, as, as unfortunate as it is, the reality is the higher the page rate, the less the creative freedom you have in 99% of creative endeavors. The more money you're given to do something, the less decision-making you have in that, in, in that job. And yeah, and it would be this, yeah, that, I mean, again, that's why I do a convention that I run and I fund and, you know, all this other stuff because I am for someone who works in comics, I am a control freak, especially for someone who just really wants to color comics. It's, it's insane that I'm a control freak. Um, but yeah, so it, it all goes into that. Yeah. Uh, trying to find your joy back in whatever your creative endeavor is. And that's kind of where I'm landing the last year or so. I think I'm in a better place. I have been in a while and kind of, and I want that to show in the work. I want that to carry over into the projects I do. Right. Well, that's good. So when's the show? The show is March 9th. Um, we, this year, last year it was in February. Ideally, I want it in February. Um, but the, again, like I told you, there's so many events that we could only get it in March this year. Uh, okay. But yeah, it's like I said, one day show, Central Phoenix, centrally located, 25 professional guests, uh, 70, well, no, 50 something plus um I guess artist alley, I call them creator tables. Like we don't sell, we don't artist alley is a problematic term. So creator tables. Um, and then, you know, a dozen or so retailers and just kind of a fun, a fun day. Cool. Um, how much are tickets? Tickets are 15 plus fees. So like comes okay. out to like 1650 or whatever. Uh, I probably should mention like the guests. We have Brian Azzarello. Uh, Stephanie Phillips, um, Alex Sinclair, Jim, essentially Jim Lee's colors, Alex Sinclair, Mitch Garrids, uh, Tim Seeley, Tony Fleeks doing local man for image comics. Now, uh, again, it's really most of these creators I know, and they're, I know they're fun to hang out with. Like Tony and I have had fun hanging out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So I know we're going to have fun hanging out in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've hung out with Tim plenty of times. I know Tim's a good, good dude to hang out with. So uh yeah it's just um should be fun should be a fun weekend i hope nice nice yeah. well if you like comic conventions most of them are great yeah yeah and again i'm I'm trying not to poo-poo the bigger cons in in, in town and they've actually been great like the uh the, the one of the coordinators of the the big show here the phoenix show here volunteered at my show last year oh you very know? cool and then, and they gave me a list of who they, like, they gave, they gave me some volunteers and, you know, I thought there might be some friction. And since I've announced this show, like there's been no, if anything, my relationship with the local Phoenix show has gotten better. So, you know, it's, 
you know, I want, I want that. I want the, 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 everyone cheering on everybody else on. And I know it's not realistic in every opportunity, especially in business, but I do think in a creative community, if, if you're, if you're honestly, if you're honestly focused on the creative part of the creative community, then everyone should try to be supportive as much as they can of other people uh, and other creators in, in, in every endeavor. If that's your thing, if your thing is money, then that's different, but sure. I, I work in indie comics, so my thing's never been money. So There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right, man. I, I, I was, I'm glad you reached out. Um, it was, it, you know, the, the, it's the second most, I was the second highest form of the power move of, uh, coming on the podcast the the highest form of power move i have seen was just a comic fan who just put a post out there saying to one creator saying when are you going to be on and then at adding me that you know his podcast and that was it like it was and then the the creator's like yeah i'm in i'm like oh i guess i guess this is happening so right um I was like, okay, well, that somebody has figured out the system. They gamed it; it worked a plus. So, um, you know, but that's the hustle. You were doing the hustle, man. Yeah, I, I want to get the word out, and I uh, and I, I know from from checking out your even if even before I listened to really any of your episodes, just your social media just seemed like a, a good vibe, and and mm. your your guests, you know, someone's guests kind of vouch for them, right? So you've had you've had Deck on a couple times. Declan's been on a couple times, and so I was like, oh, this guy's gotta be cool. I mean, if Declan thinks he's cool, he's gotta be cool because Declan's <laughs> super cool. So you know, like Deck yeah. is quite cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it is it is my portfolio is my is my guest list. That's yeah. sort of what it comes down to, I guess, at this point. Uh. If you are in the state of Arizona and you're close yep. to Phoenix, definitely go check out the show on the ninth. Um, e- even if it is just to try to charm Stephanie, then I say go for it because that's that's always worth it to get a, get her to smile and laugh. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited about it. Uh, I think it's gonna, like I said, it's gonna be a fun weekend. I mean, it's what I want, man. It's all about the hang, and also fun for everybody. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll put a link for the show in the description so people can uh, hear about it, find about it, and follow you and see if they can just, you know, maybe next year they're going to say, you know what, next year I'm going to go to this show. So There you go. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. This was fun. And we survived all our technical difficulties, so good on us. (laughs) We did. We made it happen somehow. (laughs) All right. Until next time. All right. See ya.